Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. You're listening to The Reinvention Project with Jim Rome Podcast. Welcome to Episode 3 of The Reinvention Project with Jim Rome and right off the very top. I want to thank you very much for deciding to invest your extremely valuable time in this episode. Just know, I'm going to do everything I can to get you a good return on that investment. And because of this week's guest, I can all but guarantee it. Again, this podcast is about reinvention and transformation, and ideally on every single level, mentally, physically, spiritually, and emotionally. Maybe you've been broken somehow, or maybe you're just in a rut and you're looking to bust out of yourself somehow or some way, or maybe in the case of Inky Johnson, your entire life changed in a catastrophic instant. Everything that you had worked your entire life for and with so many counting on you to cash that chip that you had rightfully earned watched on in horror as it all blew up in a single terrifying instant. Personally, I will never forget seeing the moment that you're about to hear about. To this day, I still get chills every time I see a replay of it, but even more so when I think about how Inky was able to completely transform and reinvent himself after an experience that, frankly, I don't think I could have come back from, and certainly not the way Inky has, not with the passion he has, nor the insistence that it was actually a good thing, and that even if he could, he wouldn't change anything about it at all. I would be hard-pressed to find an individual that I respect and admire as much as I do Inky Johnson. I am absolutely thrilled to know this individual, and I cannot wait for him to share his story with you. And as always, make sure you hang around after the conversation so I can share my biggest takeaways from it, because he and this really is something else. Inky, I have to say, I have such profound respect and admiration for you, your journey, your message, the impact you're having on the world. So you were one of the first people I wanted to find for our new podcast and our new project about reinvention, because to me, you have experienced one of the most dramatic and inspiring transformations I have ever seen in an individual. So thank you so much for doing this. First things first, Inky, how are you and yours doing during this most unprecedented and challenging time? Uh, Jim, first and foremost, man, I have to express my gratitude to you. It's an honor to be on, I think, the world of you. But me, my wife, my kids, man, we're doing great. You know, we're healthy. You know, all is well. All is well. That is so great. Inky, I'm so glad that you and I can have this conversation. I'm so glad, number one, that those who know you and your story can get caught up. And I can't wait for you to tell your story to those who may not, in fact, know it yet. So why don't you take me back to the very beginning? You grew up in the Kirkwood neighborhood of Atlanta, Georgia. What was that area like? Yeah, and so in Kirkwood, you know, at the time, uh, southeast Atlanta, you know, we had everything under the sun. You know, drugs, gangs, violence, you name it, we had it. You know, and I was a kid coming up, you know, in this neighborhood, born to a mother at 16, uh, taken back to 125 Warren, which was in the heart of Kirkwood, two-bedroom home, 14 of us. And I had this dream to go to the NFL to give my family a better way of life. 
I was going to ask you about that, Inky, 125 Warren. So you started to touch on this, but again, just so people understand, how many people resided in that house? What was it like to grow up in that house on 125 Warren? Yeah, and so it was It was a two-bedroom, and it was 14 of us, and, uh, you know, slept on the floor, uh, roaches and rats, you know, and pallets. And, um, you know, I think back on it, it was some of the best times of my life because I was with my loved ones, but in the same aspect, you know, my perspective, I knew there was a better way of life. I knew it was another level out there. And just being in that household, I was fortunate because I got to see both parts of life. You know, like some people said the other day, I posted one of my uncle's prison notes, right, from that he wrote to me from state prison. And he was in that household. And so I saw my uncles doing certain things, getting sent off to jail, getting sent off to prison. And then I saw my mother getting up, going to work a double shift at Wendy's every single day. And so I saw the collateral damage from certain decisions and choices, but it also made me grateful because I had my grandmother in that house that she went about things a little bit different and it shaped and molded me into the man that the world have come to know. Right. And one of the words, key words here, Inky, is perspective. And that's so important to you and really to the rest of us, which we'll get to in a minute. And then this point about you saw both sides. I mean, I would imagine when you see your uncle or your cousins, maybe they're not making the best choices, but there was a real pressure to get money. But then you saw your mother just putting in the time and grinding it out. And then you had that dream. You want to be in the NFL. So when did you first start playing football? How old were you? And did the sport find you or did you find it? Yeah, it was it was a little bit of both in terms of the sports finding me and, and me finding it. But I started when I was seven years old. But I started in the street. You know, I, I started playing light pole to light pole every day after school. And, you know, Jim, we were playing tackle football in the street. So we would come in the house bloody, scarred up, you know, pure passion, not too much wisdom. And we loved it, right, every single day after school because, you know, my mom at the time, she couldn't afford to spend, send any money to put me in organized sports. And so me and my cousins, that was our game. Every single day we'd go out light pole to light pole until it got dark. And then a coach came down the street one day in a blue pickup truck. I'll never forget it, man. He stopped and he said, man, would y'all like to play football on grass? And I said, man, I would love that. And he said, go in the house, get your guardians and get your parents. Let me talk to them. And I went in the house and got my uncle because my mother was at work. And he said, well, you guys bring them to the park tomorrow and we'll sign them up to play ball. And my uncle was like, we greatly appreciate it, but we don't have the money to do anything like that. And the coach was like, don't worry about it. I'll take care of it. And it changed my life. So you had this coach, and he gives you this opportunity. Inky, you mentioned your mom, and she was always working. Like, after practice on most nights when you started to play, you would wait alone at the park for your mother to pick you up after work. Now, she was double-shifting at Wendy's. She was doing whatever she could to support the family. What would you say to your mom when she would pull up at the park at night after a long, long day? Absolutely. My mom would pull up after she would get off for a second shift. And when she would pull up, I would be sitting on the bench. You know, mostly everybody would already have gone home, and I would be sitting there, and I would run to my mother, I would hug her, you know, I would give her a kiss on her jaw, and I would say, Mom, if you don't mind, can you sit back in your car and turn on your car lights? You know, I have to do some extra drills. I have to go to the NFL. And my mom had every right to say, Man, come on, Ink, I'm tired. Let's go home. Or Ink, no, I can't do it tonight. She had every right. She had been working. And never did my mom once say no. She always sat back in her car turn on a car light and here I was this kid running laps doing the W drill chasing his dream to go to the NFL so Inky you're doing these things now the fact of the matter is for those who don't know 
you know, bottom line, Inc., you were not the biggest, you were not the strongest, you were not the fastest. I mean, you said so yourself, you didn't even have the money to play organized football, so you didn't have the resources. I'm curious, where was your separation? What made you different than those that you were competing with and competing against? Yeah, Jim, my, my separation was that moment I pretty much just described in terms of I was that guy that didn't mind being the last one in the park. I was that guy that when my coaches say to me, hey, Inc., run it again, I didn't mind running it again. I was that guy that didn't mind getting up at 5 a.m. and running 100 110s. I was that guy that would go out and run the block at campus. I was that guy that would get up on Saturday mornings, run two miles to the fire station, two miles back home, because I felt as if because I wasn't the biggest, the fastest, the strongest, didn't have as many resources, I felt as if my work ethic was something that I didn't mind doing and I took pride in it. And I felt as if that was the thing that created a certain level of confidence, created a certain level of mentality, and created a certain level of passion in the way I went about my business. Right. And that brings us back, Inky, to this notion of perspective, right? You take all these things, and then you have perspective. You say something that to me is fascinating. Quote, perspective drives performance. Perspective drives performance. So what did that mean to you as it related to the sport of football? It seems to me, and what I'm hearing from you, you certainly had a love for the game, but you were playing for something even greater than that, right? Is that the perspective you're talking about? Absolutely, 100%. Right. And when I say perspective drives performance, I always follow it up with how we do what we do will always affect how we do what we do. And so having the right perspective about what we're doing and why we're doing it every single day, it can affect our work ethic, our discipline, our dedication and our concrete commitment. Right. Not the cheap stuff, not the stuff that, yeah, I'll show up and I'll count the hours and not make the hours count. But the commitment that says, can I stay true to what I said I would do long after the mood that I've set it in has left? And sticking to that. And so my perspective was key in something that was very important to me because I firmly believe in any area, in any aspect of life, in anything we do, people don't burn out because of what they do. People burn out because life makes them forget why they do it. And so when I say perspective drives performance, how we view what we do will always affect how we do what we do always keeping at the front of my mind that perspective and why I'm doing it every single day and what it can lead to. Count it. This is the day that picking winning stocks gets super, super easy. I am on Carnivore Trading, a radically different stock targeting website that is disrupting Wall Street big time. In fact, I've been on this all day, every day, except when I host the show. I love Carnivore. Carnivore Trading is a small elite squad of stock market strategists. These are the guys who influence the market influencers, the big guys. They are pulling back the curtain so folks like us, from newbies to portfolio managers, can see exactly what they're trading. This is why I signed up. I wish I could show you my phone right now so you could see these alerts. It's great. I love it. For a low monthly fee, I get real-time text alerts of the explosive stocks that they're trading right now it's like dude here's what we're hitting and here's why we're hitting it now the thing is it's my choice i can either mirror their trades through my discount broker or i can pass now you don't want to pass because their trades are crushing the s p 500 but you can if you want it's totally up to you trading carnivores trades it's like earning your PhD in the stock market. And you'll love this. They guarantee you'll earn five times your monthly subscription or double your money back. 5X, five times your monthly fee just by doing what they do. 
I've got you two free weeks to see for yourself. Visit scoreourtrades.com and enter the code GYM. That's scoreourtrades.com. Enter the code GYM. See website for guaranteed terms and conditions. Past performance, not a guarantee of future earnings. Inky, you once had a conversation when you were coming up with a police officer that I know you have never forgotten. What did he tell you? Yeah, he asked me. He said, what's your plan, little man? And uh, I said, my plan is to go to the NFL, right? But I'm going to go to college. I'm going to go D1 to college. And I'll never forget at the time I was in high school, and he said to me, you'll probably go to cell block D1. And I was like, man, maybe this guy's making a mistake because I never met him a day in my life. And so when he said it, he went to walk off. And so I jogged over to him and I tapped him on the shoulder and I was like, excuse me but I've never met you a day in my life. Maybe you got me kind of confused with somebody else. And he was like, no, I know your family. He's like, you had uncles come to the same school. They could play ball just like you, right? Like they were little ball players just like you. I was like, yes, sir. He said, aren't they serving 10, 20, 30, 40 years in a federal penitentiary, not even that far away from here? I was like, yes, sir. He was like, the apple don't fall that far from the tree. And he said, we'll see. And I said, we will. We'll see. Absolutely. Mm. You ever see this guy ever again, Inc.? That was the first guy that I went to see when I got my football scholarship to the University of Tennessee and I got back in town to school. The first person I went to see was that cop in the lunchroom. And I slid the paper across the table to him. And he said to me, he said, I just want to ask you a few questions. Like, how did you do it? What made you do it? And things of that nature. He said, when I said that to you, he said, you probably thought I was trying to break you. I said, yeah, it came across that way. He said, but no, I had seen so many kids just like you that would say a similar thing, and they would end up at the gas station across the street. I'm locking them up for trying to sell drugs. You know, they're getting sent off to prison. And he said, when I said it to you, I just wanted to see, would you be willing to fight for what you said you wanted? He said, that's the only thing I wanted to understand and I wanted to see. Would you take it and process it the right way? And so I ended up using that as fuel. Right. So just so people understand, Inky, like, for instance, he mentioned your family members. I've seen your cousins. I've seen others like you who could play ball that it didn't work out for. How many of your family members had gone to college prior to you going to Tennessee? Uh, nobody. No one. No one in my family had been to college. Very few had even graduated uh, from high school. All right. So you were the very first. How determined were you to break that chain? Why was that so critical to you? It was extremely important um, because I felt as if if I would go to college, I would be breaking a generational curse in my family. And I had cousins coming behind me. And I felt as if the people that believed in me, the people that saw something in me, you know, it was very important for me to give them a return on their investment. And something happened once, Jim, like I'll never forget. I was headed to an all-star football game when I was in high school. And I went in the restroom on this plane. It was my first time ever riding a plane, so I'm nervous, right? I'm scared out of my mind. And I go into the restroom, and I use the restroom, and as I'm leaving out, there's this sign on the wall, and it said, it's common courtesy to the person coming behind you. Can you wipe the sink out and leave it better than you found it? And I'll never forget saying it's common courtesy to the generation and the people that come behind me. And everything I do and everything I touch, I want to leave it better than I found it, including my family, my own personal family. 
That is the absolute best, and I want to pick up that thought in a minute. Now, Inky, you were making good on that part of the dream. You wanted to go to a D1 school. You wanted to play football. You got into a D1 school. You were balling at a very high level, and then you're watching film at the start of your junior season, right, when your DB coach, defensive backs coach, comes in and says he's got some good news for you. What did he say? Absolutely. He said to me, uh, Inky, can you believe you're on track to graduate in three years? And I was like, awesome. And he said, man, you're projected top 30 draft pick. He said, all you got to do, Inc., is keep playing ball the way you've been playing it, and you'll be an automatic multimillionaire. And I ran out of the room, and I called my mother and my grandmother on a three-way phone call. And I said, hey, after this season, our lives are about to change forever. We'll never struggle again, and we'll never miss another meal. I mean, so nobody's ever gone to college in your family. You're on track to graduate in three years. You're going to be a top 30 draft pick. You're this close. All you have to do is what you've always done. Show up, finish out the year, get to the league, and now you can take care of your family, maybe even generationally, forever. But Inky, on September 9th, 2006, in a game against Air Force, your entire life changed in a split second. What happened that night? Yeah, I always tell people, you know, that night against Air Force, the wild part was my preparation was exactly the same before the game. I listened to the same pregame music, right? Phil Collins, I could feel it coming in the air tonight. That was my song, right? I prepared the exact same way. And we go out and we play against Air Force, extremely tough guys, extremely disciplined guys. Ended up being a really tough game. Fourth quarter rolls around, two minutes left in the game. Game is basically over. But Air Force is driving to try to win the game, and we break the huddle, and I say to my guys, man, I hope they throw the ball my way. I can make this tackle that corner, and we can get ready for Florida the next week. And as the play starts to unfold, I look at the quarterback. He's pointing in my direction. We have quarters coverage called at the time, so I'm backpedaling to my quarter, and I see the quarterback release the ball to a guy, Justin Hanley. He catches it, and I'm going to make the tackle. And I'm thinking, like, man, I got exactly what I asked for. And when I went at the point of contact, when I hit him, Jim, I'll never forget this feeling for as long as I live. It seemed as if my soul left my body, literally. It seemed as if everything in me at the point of contact when I hit him, everything just left my body. My body went completely limp. I fell to the ground. I blacked out. Had never experienced anything like that before. And when my eyes opened, my teammates were running over to me saying, ain't get up. Let's go. Let's close them out. And I said, I can't. And they said, what do you mean you can't? I said, I can't. I can't move. There's a shot going from the crown of my head to the bottom of my feet. I can't feel anything. And a few hours later, I found myself in the emergency room, and I was fighting for my life. Inky, the, I've seen the video countless times. It is chilling. It is chilling every single time I see it. And then when you think about this, you worked your entire life to put yourself in a position to take care of your family forever. And then when you come to, like you said, you had never blacked out before, you come to and they're wheeling you off the field on a spine board. Emotionally, what were you thinking in that moment given everything that was at stake? In the moment when it first happened, I just thought it was just a a regular football injury. I I thought maybe, man, I've broken my arm. You know, maybe I just got a bad stinger that's lingering because my arm was on fire, right? I could feel that. Like, it was on fire in terms of the pain, but I couldn't really feel it. I didn't have much control over it. So I'm thinking, man, maybe I've torn something up pretty bad, but I'm not thinking that, you know, it's anything serious because they're going about it. Like, all ink is a football injury. Things happen you'll be fine. And so everybody is going about it 
as if it's business as usual. And so I didn't think much of it. I just thought it was just a process and protocol but nothing too serious or too deep. Okay, but everything was not fine. That was not just a football injury. How close, Inky, did you come to losing your life that night? Very close. You know, I'll never forget, you know, they were going through the different testing, and when they got me there in the ER, they ran some tests, and they brought me back into a separate room, and they let my mother come back because she was kind of, you know, freaking out. She wanted to see me, and they let her come back. And once she saw me, she was calm, and she started cracking jokes. It's like, Ink, you'll be fine. It's football. And she kissed me on my forehead, and she went to exit the room. And I'll never forget, as soon as she exits the room, I flip my head to the left. And when I flip my head to the left, I see the head doctor, and he's doing like a little job, right? But it's, it's at a pretty good pace. And he's screaming, right? And he's saying, guys, guys, get in here. We got to rush this kid back to emergency surgery. He's about to die. And when he said that, I'm thinking like, man, maybe he's, just trying to make the situation more intense because everything has been cool up until this point. And so when he gets right up on me, I say to him, man, you're talking about like die, die, like away from here, die. And he was like, yeah, I was like, like what happened? And he said, when we ran a test, we noticed you have ruptured your subclavian artery in your chest and you're bleeding internally. And he said, we have to rush you back and take the main vein out of your left leg and plug it into your chest in order to save your life. And he said, oh, I guarantee you, you won't be here in the morning. You won't be alive in the morning. Hmm. So you wake up the next morning. They do the surgery. You wake up the next morning. The doctor says, we have good news and we have bad news. What did he tell you? Absolutely. He said, the good news is we saved your life. Uh, the bad news is, you know, you got brachial plexus injury. Your football career is probably over. And I'm like, what is brachial plexus? He said, we went in to repair the artery. We noticed you had torn the nerves from your spine that controls your shoulder, your arm your hand and your fingers on your right side, and they can't be replugged. So, Inky, what did that mean exactly? What it meant to me was my life would probably never be the same again, and my football career was ending on that day, and my right arm and hand would possibly be paralyzed for the rest of my life. Yeah, it, it, I mean, it's an unbelievable thing to have to process, but in that moment, the fact of the matter is when that doctor said to you, Inc., you're not going to play ever again. You cannot play football again. What was your immediate reaction? What did you say to him? I, I didn't believe it, to be honest, right? Because I'm thinking, like, it can't be. I'm like, no disrespect, Doc, but, like, you weren't in the park with me and my mother, right, when I was a kid and she had just gotten off her double shift and she was sitting in the park with the car light. Like, no disrespect, Doc, but you wasn't with me on those Saturday mornings when I would get up and run two miles to a fire station two miles back home. Like, no disrespect, but this can't end right now, right? Like, it's too much riding on us. I got to help my family. I wasn't mad at the doctor. I just didn't believe it. And I was trying to make the doctors understand, like, no, like, this can't be. I put in too much work. Like, it's too much riding on this, right? I come from a two-bedroom home, 14 people. Like, it can't end this way this quick. And so I couldn't believe it. It was surreal to me. So, I mean, so that said, what, what in the world do you do with something like that, Inky? For instance, it, it, it couldn't happen to you. You were doing all the right things. You were making all the right decisions. You were making all the right choices, yet it did happen. Were there moments of why me, why me, God, why me? Absolutely. You know, and, and, and like I, I always used to say to people, like I never, I never cheated, right? Like, I, I couldn't believe it. Like, my, my conscience wouldn't let me cheat up until that point because I felt as if 
the bigger, the faster, stronger. Like I wasn't that guy. And so I felt as if my work ethic, I prided myself on it. And so I'm saying to him, like, I never cheated, right? Like this can't be. And so I always tell people in the moment, I was extremely disappointed. I couldn't understand it, right? I couldn't fathom it. But the thing I knew I had to do was I had to survive it. Like I always share with people, when we encounter heavy opposition, heavy adversity, heavy challenges, it's human nature to want to understand it. It's human nature to want to say, hey, God, what's up with this? Like, why am I going through this? Like, God, you can't let it go down like this. I put in too much work. And I tell people all the time, let's shift that energy to surviving the moment, surviving the opposition, surviving the challenge, because some things are so tough that you're not going to understand. I couldn't understand what happened to me. I couldn't understand how quick it happened. The amount of work I put into it, I couldn't understand it. But the thing I knew I could do was survive it. And once I got over the hill and I had survived it, now I can look back, now I can extract the lessons, the principles, and I can try my best to understand it so I can get in a place to where I can have the perspective to try to use it to help some people. Okay, exactly right, Inky. So this is why I wanted to spend as much time as we did talking about how you came up and what your purpose was and what your mission was and what happened to you. And now we get to the real meat of this thing and not to say that everything that happened up until now wasn't unbelievable because it was, but you are a firm believer that things do not happen to you, they happen for you. What does that mean? Absolutely. That... There's, a, there's an opportunity, there's a seed of good in everything that we face and everything we go through. And I feel as if, as people, it's natural, but we waste a lot of experiences. When things don't come to us in the form of which we expect, when things don't unfold the way we want them to, when things don't go the way we want them to, right? Like a pessimist sees the difficulty in every opportunity, an optimist sees the opportunity in every level of difficulty. And so when I say things don't happen to you, they happen for you, that's an optimist seeing the opportunity in every level of difficulty and figuring out a way to extract it, to use it, to add value to every environment we go into and every person's life that we come in contact with. See, now the thing is, it's one thing to make the best of a situation, but then nobody that I know of personally have ever gone through a situation or had a circumstance quite like that. But still, Inky, you believe that none of us are defined by circumstances or situations. If those things do not define us, then what does? Our character, our integrity, you know, the things that make us who we are. I always say to people, like, the thing that we all have in common, regardless of where we come from, regardless of our religious beliefs, regardless of our skin color, regardless of what we believe in politics, like, regardless of what sports we play, like, the thing that we all have in common as people we all will hit adversity. We all will hit opposition. We all will go through challenges. But as cliche as it sounds when it says it's never about what happens to us, it's about how we respond to it, that's raw truth, right? The quote by Dr. King, I love it. It's my favorite quote. You judge the character and caliber of a person not by where they stand in times of comfort and convenience. You judge the character and caliber of a person by where they stand in times of challenge and controversy. And that's the thing that I think defines us as people when we reveal our character and who we are in those moments. It's an amazing quote. You mentioned your grandmother, Inky. I know that when you were young, she would talk to you a lot about adversity. In fact, what was her message to you about adversity? What did she say about adversity? She would always say to me, Inky, either a person is in the midst of adversity, just came out of adversity, or they're about to head into some adversity. And so you better be prepared either way. And that shaped my mentality, that shaped my perspective, 
and that shaped my spirit to where when I found myself in the midst of adversity or I found myself even coming out of it, but making sure I was already always prepared, already prepared mentally, right? There's this thing that says gratitude in advance is the most powerful and creative force in the universe. And so my grandmother told me that it put me in a space and a place to where now gratitude was so important that when I found myself in the midst of adversity, I'm grateful for it. When I found myself coming out of adversity, I'm grateful for it. When I found myself in a situation to where I knew, oh, man, this is going to pose a level of adversity, I'm grateful for it. Inky, how can you be grateful for something which caused paralysis and loss of use of your arm and your hand forever and which took away your dream? How did you find, dig deep within to find gratitude for that? Um, I would say once I got to a space and a place, immediately I wasn't, you know, just to be honest, like the next day I wasn't like, man, I'm grateful for a paralyzed right arm and hand, you know, just for the people listening. So they won't think, man, Inc., you got to a place pretty quick. No, it was a process. And once I got in the midst of that process, I started to notice Jim, like people changing that were connected to me, people that I cared about. I started to notice their perspective changing. I started to notice their approach to life changing. I started to see things happening spiritually with different people around me. It was shaping people's behavior. And I was like, man, this thing is bigger than me, right? Because in the midst of something, when we go through it, we're thinking, man, why did this have to happen to me? Why do I have to go through this? And it's hard sometimes in the macro to step back and see the bigger picture and see how it's affecting and helping other people. And once I started to realize how this was affecting and helping other people, it made me be grateful for the situation even further because I knew it served a bigger purpose than just me, my football career, and my pipe dream. It's amazing. In fact, you probably would argue, Inky, that if you focused only on your NFL dream, that'd be selfish, right? I'm not saying personally, but I bet you saw it that way. When you saw how this was impacting people beyond you and it was so much bigger than you, if you were just locked in on the NFL and only the NFL, would that not feel selfish? Absolutely, because I never would have got the lesson. And if I never would have got the lesson, my approach to the situation would have been a lot different. I would have been bitter. I would have been resentful, like, which is cool, right? If, that was, if that's what it takes to get somebody to their place of peace, deal with it, it's all good. But just speaking personally, if I would have dealt with my situation that way, I never would have acquired the lesson. And the people that were watching me and the people that I was connected to every single day, their response to the situation would have been a lot different and they never would have posed the lessons and the opportunities and the things that it gave them from watching how I dealt with my situation. It's amazing. So a few more things. For instance, if the one thing we all have in common is adversity, like to your grandmother's point, either we're experiencing it or we're about to experience it or we're coming out of it. If we all have that in common, maybe this is too basic, but how do you get through adversity if we're all dealing with something? How do we get through it? What's the process? I would say uh, empathy. The word empathy is so important. And I feel as if, like, as people, Jim, like the people that we're around every single day, the people we're connected to every single day, the people we work with, the people that we play sports with, it's so easy to have empathy for these people because we're directly connected to them. Now, indirectly, the people that we're connected to, more times than not, we don't have the same level of empathy for them when they experience certain things. We'll have sympathy for a person. Right? We'll see him going through something, have a level of sympathy. But when we have empathy, it's different. 
right? It moves us to action. It makes us more compassionate, right? It makes us seek understanding. It makes us listen to people differently. It makes us handle situations differently, even in our own lives. And so I think empathy is the big word for me when we think about each other going through levels of adversity and opposition. Like one of my buddies went through something a few months ago, and I'll never forget talking to him on the phone, and it tore him up. It was a level of adversity that he never could imagine going through, and he went through it. And I remember saying to him in one of our last dialogues, I said, man, you never know. One day you may get to a space and place that somebody else will experience something similar to what you're going through, and you can help them with how you got through it. And I kid you not, earlier this week, somebody called me, one of my buddies, another one, with a similar situation. And I knew exactly where to point him to. I pointed him to my buddy that just went through it four months prior. And he told him how he got through it, but he had a level of empathy with it. And so when he spoke to him, it was a totally different experience. And the guy could totally connect with him because he was dealing with the same thing. Because he was empathetic. The word is empathy. Absolutely. So, Inky, really quickly, I know, I mean, you're touching on all these things, but I think to get right at the heart of the issue, somebody once said to you, Ink, why don't you try stem cell, stem cell procedures? Why don't you go overseas? Why don't you see what they can do to help you? What was your response to that individual? I got peace. I'm good. You know, and, and they're like, what do you mean? Like, what does that mean? I was like, I got peace. I'm good, man. Like, I'm going to use this arm every day of my life for the rest of my life by the way that I live my life because I would never allow a situation or circumstance to define my life. And the reason that I said that was I had to fight so hard to acquire peace, you know, with my situation. My physique changed, right? I was a college athlete. My physique was totally different. I was never a big guy. But, you know, my physique was totally different, right? I used to lift. I used to run all the time. My arm got paralyzed. You could see the atrophy. Like, I have a nine-year-old son. My right arm and his arm, his arm is almost bigger than mine on the right side, right? My physique totally changed. I don't have a peck. And so I had, to, I had to work really hard to acquire my level of peace. And when you go through those processes of surgery, you know, stem cell, things of that nature, it takes a lot out of you. But more importantly, I felt as if, my level of peace that I now have acquired through this situation was more important than anything that that stem cell could give me. And so I cherish my level of peace, and I feel as if my arm every single day, I can use it with an opportunity to impact somebody's life, and so I'm good. Right, that that same arm the doctor said to you, you will never use this arm ever again, use it every single day. Just so I'm really clear on this, Inky, are you telling me that if there were a magic pill or there was a way to turn the clock back, if you could go back and change this, you would not? I wouldn't change it for nothing in the world. Now, if you'd have asked me this early in the process, I'd have said, absolutely, man, let's change it so I can play ball, so I can accomplish my dream. But now, Jim, the man that I am, uh, the father, the servant, uh, the husband, the friend, the lessons I've learned through doing the work in terms of on myself, uh, just seeking mastery over my emotions, understanding things like empathy, compassion, right, cultivating serendipity, like different things throughout life that this process has just made me study and understand and learn, right, this process of living life with a paralyzed right arm in the hand, this process of a dream deferred, this process of understanding, giving everything you got to something and losing it in a moment, this process of watching different people be shaped by this situation and watching their decision-making process change, right? If I was to change what happened to me, 
it would change several levels and elements of my life that I, I cherish way more than just my dream of going to the NFL. So before you go, I ask this of a lot of athletes, and you are an amazing athlete. I think it applies to you as well. But like once the athletic career is over, when these guys have spent their entire times locked in and focused and determined and driven, and they've got that grind, they've got that grit, and then all of a sudden the cheering stops, they walk off. You know, what do you do with all those things that made you who you were? And I'm not even talking about just your identity, Inky. For instance, like when you were coming up, you had that dream and the words, things like competition, work ethic, dedication, commitment, they meant a very different thing thing to you than other people because of your perspective when that dream ended the NFL dream ended what about those things do you still have those things in that same level of intensity to those things today absolutely but I think uh, figuring out how to channel them is extremely important figuring out when to pull back when to move forward when to slow down and speed up I think these things are very important understanding the art of carryover like I talk to my friend Eric Berry all the time, and one of the things that we speak about is carryover, right? How can we carry over the things that we learn through the vehicle of sports and the other areas and aspects of our life, but also understanding how to channel them, right? When we become fathers, right, and we got children and understanding that our children are not us. And so when it comes to work ethic, dedication and commitment, understanding how to channel what we learn and also using that with our children to help them become great. Also as husbands, as spouses, as fiancés, you know, understanding that process of what we gave to the game, understanding how to carry over certain elements and aspects of that when it comes to teamwork, dedication, commitment, sacrificing, compromising for something that's a lot greater than you. I feel as if it's extremely important, but I think it's a process to understanding how to channel it. I love Eric Berry, and I love the way he admires you, looks up to you, and the way he speaks of you. Two last things. You use the word great, Inky. For instance, how would you personally define greatness? What is the true measure of greatness? I think greatness is uh, the ability to show up every single day and put forth your best effort, right? Like I always say to people, I used to say to guys when we played, you might not always be your best, but you can always bring your best. Whatever your best looks like on that particular day, give me that, right? Every single day. We might not always be our best, right? Sometimes you get up and life smacks you, right? And you're just having a dog day, right? We're not always going to wake up and show up every single day, happy-go-lucky, feeling great, in a place of peace. No, we're not, right? Just being realistic, we're not. But we might not always be our best, but we can always bring our best. And I think when you always bring your best and you find it deep down, you find the integrity, you find the character, right? You find the dedication and commitment to chase greatness every single day in your current state. I think that's what it is. We might not always be our best, but we can always bring our best. What that best is on that particular day, I think that's it. And then finally, like if somebody's listening right now, Inky, and they, they're hearing this and they're trying to process it, but they're overwhelmed and they're beaten down. Not just like I woke up this morning and I got smacked in the face by life, but it's in a spiral. It's downward. They're beaten down. They feel like there really is no hope. They want to give up. They don't know what to do. They have no hope. What do you tell that person? Uh, first and foremost, do your best to find gratitude, right? And I know it might not be, be easy in the beginning because some things are so tough that it's not easy. But there's a mantra that I live by, and I've been living by it for a long time, ever since I was a kid. Uh, this too shall pass. Right. Every storm runs out of rain. And so when I say this too shall pass, every storm has an expiration date. 
And when I say storms, I'm talking to opposition, adversity, challenges, and just understanding the current climate of the world. Like it's a lot of people going through a tough time right now, and I'm well aware of that. But every single day, getting up and giving yourself positive affirmations and fighting for your peace, right? Like we have to fight for joy. We have to fight for happiness. We have to fight for peace. That's not something that I just believe life will deliver to us like an Amazon package. Sometimes we have to fight for it. And I firmly believe this too shall pass. Every single day, waking up, repeating that, and understanding that everything has an expiration date and every storm runs out of rain. Let's keep fighting. Mm. So 125 Warren, to circle back completely and wrap this up, you grew up in that home. There were 14 people in that home. There were two bedrooms. And you told your mother, I will buy you a house. I will get you out of here. We will not live like this forever. The NFL dream was taken from you. Were you ever able to buy your mom that house that you promised her? She, she, got, married and, um, she got married and got one, and then her husband passed away, and then I was able to pick it up and assist. And so now I take care of that house, and I was able to get her one, so she's good. That's great. That is beautiful. So, Inky, if somebody listening right now, and I can't say how much this means to me and how much I can imagine this is helping people, if people want to reach out or they want to follow you or they want some more information or they want to bring you in, you are so active and you're so helpful in so many different ways. What is the best way for folks to do that? Uh, on all social media sites, it's just Inky Johnson. Of course, on Instagram, it's Inky Johnson Motivate, and my website is InkyJohnson.com. And so you guys send me an email. If you guys go to my website and feel free to call or on my social media, you can reach out as well. You know, I respond, and so I greatly appreciate your support, and I appreciate you guys you know, give me this opportunity to share. Uh, Inky, I mean this so much. Like, you and I have talked on my shows before, but this is a very different project, and I wanted to talk about reinvention, and you were one of the first people I thought of because, again, I've never seen somebody transform themselves and their lives with such amazing courage and conviction. I can't tell you how much I respect you, how much I appreciate you, how much I appreciate the time that you just spent, and I know it helps so many people. Inky, thank you so much, and all the best to you. I really, really appreciate you and the relationship. Jim, you're the man, brother. I think the world of you, man. Thank you so much. The tournament is finally here. The brackets have been set. The teams are ready to hit the court and DraftKings. The leader in one-day fantasy is celebrating with their largest free college basketball survivor pool ever. How large? One million bucks in total prizes. Up for grabs. And if that's not enough, check this out. When you enter the free DraftKings $1 million survivor pool, you could get a shot at winning ten grand for every upset through the first two rounds of the tournament. It's so easy to play. It's a blast. You pick one team per day. If they win, you survive and advance to the next round. Last person standing is the winner. Remember, you can only pick a team once for the entire tourney, so choose one wisely. DraftKings is a safe and secure app. You can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Get in on all this week's action. Download the DraftKings app right now. Enter the code Rome during sign up and enter the free $1 million survivor pool. Again, code name Rome to enter into DraftKings free $1 million survivor pool. Eligibility restrictions and terms and conditions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Wow. 
I mean, absolutely amazing. And again, I have immense and profound respect for Inky and everything he represents. And I'm so appreciative of the time he committed for that conversation. As I said last week, after I spoke with Ed Milet, literally everything Inky just said resonated with me. But I want to hit on just a few key things that are going to stay with me going forward. Things I want to make sure that I'm going to implement in my life going forward. One of the most powerful statements that Inky makes in this conversation is, quote, I will never allow a situation or a circumstance to define my life, end quote. For instance, how many of us are, in fact, allowing just that to happen? As an example, have you ever allowed yourself to get hooked or caught in a downward spiral over something that happened in your personal or your professional life? Maybe it was something traumatic or even catastrophic, and you can't stop thinking about it and ruminating about it, and you run it back over and over and over again in your mind. And this goes on for a while, and you can't get control of it to the point where it does become an obsession. And then you start to think about it more than you do almost anything else. Then because it dominates your thoughts... It determines your actions or inactions. And then this thing, whatever it is, does then come to define your life because you allowed it to. Inky is saying, don't. Quote, I will never allow a situation or circumstance to define my life. End of quote. This is an individual who lost the use of his arm and his hand and had his dream ripped from him. And that individual is saying, I will never allow a situation or a circumstance to define my life. In other words, it's a personal mandate, pure and simple. He's just not going to let it happen ever. And I'm sure Inky would say that each and every one of us have it in us to do the same thing. Go ahead. Carve that into stone because I personally am never going to forget that. Never allow any situation or circumstance to define your life. I also absolutely love his definition of greatness. Quote, the ability to bring your best even when you're not at your best. That to me is tremendous. I mean, especially when you're not at your best. I love that he would tell his teammates and the people he cares about most, I know you're not at your best right now, but just give me the best that you have right now. And not just once, by the way, and not for a week either or a month, but over and over and over again until it becomes second nature, until you no longer even have to think about it, until it's a way of life, until it's embedded Until you just know, I'm going to bring whatever it is I have in this moment to everything I do. I mean, there is absolute greatness in that and integrity and honesty and separation. And personally, you know, if I'm being very honest with you and with myself, I do do some of that sometimes. Sure. But honestly, not on all the days when I'm not at my best. I just don't. Sometimes I do want to take a knee. After hearing that, what a tremendous concept. After hearing that, I'm going to implement that. And no, you're not always going to be at your best. We know this, but you have to always bring your best in everything you do. That's non-negotiable. I love that. That's going to stay with me forever. The ability to bring your best even when you're not at your best. And then how about this notion that while every one of us is so different, we actually have one thing in common. 
Life is going to punch every last one of us in the face. Adversity is coming. It's not a question of if, but it's a matter of when. So it's your job to be ready when it does. So you're strong, resilient, and you can bounce back more quickly than somebody who has never prepared or even thought about it. Inky says his grandmother hammered that into him from day one. My guy, David Goggins, is absolutely amazing on this point. I've never seen a guy attack his training the way Goggins does his. But although he is a record holder and an ultra marathoner, he will tell you he's not training for a race or any competition at all. He's training for life. He's preparing for the adversity that he knows is inevitable. He's grinding it out to cut those toughness grooves in his brain for when he gets that call in the middle of the night that something truly terrible has happened. That way, he's prepared mentally, emotionally, and physically to deal with anything that life throws at him. In other words, my man's got a concrete jaw. And when life hits him in the face with a sledgehammer, he doesn't blink. This is also exactly what Inky is talking about. Prepare for adversity because it's not a question of if, but it's a matter of when it comes for all of us. And when it does, it's going to reveal who and what you are. And then finally, his last point I think is so critical and one that I personally really need to work on and be more conscious of, and that's the need to have gratitude. Always have gratitude because no matter what you're going through, you can always find something to be grateful for because there's always something. And to Inky's point, whatever it is you're going through, no matter how brutal it is, this too shall pass. It never seems like it when you're in the middle of it, but it always does. Always. The storm, whatever your storm is, always passes. At the same time, I love that Inky says that while that's important to understand, that doesn't mean you just passively wait or sit by. You still need to fight. You need to fight for everything. You need to fight for joy, for happiness, and yes, even for peace. I know that sounds kind of counterintuitive, right? Fight for peace, but Inky's exactly right. And while Inky will not use this language, I will. This shit really is not coming next day delivery on Amazon. You can't get happiness at a buy-it-now price on eBay. It's not for sale. And you do have to fight for it. So have gratitude. Know that every storm eventually ends. And fight for happiness for those around you and for yourself. Personally, I have tremendous gratitude for all of you who have decided to take this journey with me and are taking the time to listen to this podcast. I appreciate all of you more than you will ever know. And remember, a brand new episode drops every Thursday as we talk reinvention, transformation, and peak performance. So please make sure you are subscribed. And if you could take a moment to review it and share it, that would be absolutely awesome. Have an incredible week, and I will see you all right back here again next time. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. 
Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.